We're going to continue to worship the Lord this morning with our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings. And uh, this weekend, some of you might remember, it was one year ago this weekend uh, that we did our offering to actually get the building that we are in right now, which is just a miraculous thing. And one of the things it always says in scriptures is to remember and to recount the things that God has done, to remember his faithfulness, to teach it to your children and your children's children. So one of the things that I was doing with my kids this week, and they're six and four and five months, so... Like, they don't remember a year ago. They don't remember yesterday, let alone a year ago. So I'm telling them, you know how we're in this church, and it's awesome, and it's so much better than when we were in the movie theater? That's because God provided for us. And so I'm teaching that to my kids, and I want us to remember that, too, that a year ago, we needed $170,000 in 14 days to be able to finish off the down payment for this building. And we did it without a drive, without a campaign, just, hey, here's where God's taking us. Uh, they're installing luxury recliners in our movie theater. You all know I can't preach good enough to keep people awake through that. And you all gave like crazy. And it's a testament to two things. It's number one, God is just so faithful. And number two, that you all were faithful too and obedient to what it was that God spoke to you. And because of that, we're seeing the blessing of it today. So Father, as we give back to you this morning, we remember your faithfulness. Jesus, thank you for the way that you provided this building for us. Uh, Jesus, thank you for the miracle that it was, and thank you for the faithfulness of every person that was obedient to what you put on their heart. And Jesus, we pray that for years to come, that this would be a source of life, that it would be a light in our community. Jesus, that you would draw people in who are hurt, who are broken, who are far from you, and that they would find the life that only you can give as you're made a part of the family of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's go around. If you're new here today, thank you so much for being our guest, especially you decided to brave the freezing, sleeting, raining, snow, and warm weather that we are having all at the same time on a typical Michigan Sunday. Uh, so thank you so much for being here. In the seat backs in front of you, there are some communication cards. We'd love to have you fill one of those out, and you can turn it in at Guest Central as you leave. We have a little gift bag for you as a way of saying thank you so much for being here. And then this week, I'll send you an email welcoming you to the church and seeing if there's anything that we can do for you. Also, next week, uh, the 18th at 6.30 p.m. right here, we have our night of worship. I'd encourage you to be here for that. Uh, I love worshiping Jesus. The 25 minutes we spend on Sunday morning isn't enough. So what we do is we take an hour and a half, and we'll worship for about 25 minutes. I will teach briefly, for real this time I mean it, on worship. And then we're going to go back, and people are laughing because they don't believe me. I don't believe me either, but I'm going to try. And I'll teach a little bit on worship, and then we're going to go back into some more worship. It's an incredible time. Uh, what we do here on Sunday mornings is great because we're trying to teach the Bible to everyone and help you understand how we build a life built on the rock that is Jesus. This is all about ministering to the church body. But when we get together for nights of worship, it's just our focus is on Jesus and us giving a gift back to him. So if you've been to them before, you know how awesome they are. If you haven't been to one, come on out, bring your kids. Let's start teaching them how to worship and enjoying the presence of God together. Uh, now, this week, we were supposed to be finishing up our 21 days of prayer, which has turned into 7,000 days of prayer because I can't keep my messages short enough. Uh, but we're starting a series called Breakthrough next week, which is a six-week series about how we can uh, see breakthrough from God in our life, for the different things we're struggling with, from the different areas we need God to provide for us. How is it that we can see God's breaking in and breaking through in our lives? And to get ready for it, uh, small groups go along with that. There's six weeks of uh, groups that go along with it, which we're encouraging everybody to be a part of. But I think maybe not all of us understand the power of a small group or the need that we have for community. I was talking to Tony Calabrese, who's our radiant church planter in Nashville, Tennessee, and he was telling me about a message that he did uh, this fall that was all on the idea of small groups and the importance of community and I went and I watched it and I said, that's an incredible message. I'm not going to try to reteach it. Can I use your video? And he's like, yeah, sure, go for it, whatever. And so um, I, I'd encourage you to just follow along with it, take notes for it because this is powerful. And then at the end of it, I'll get back up here and we'll talk a little bit more about what breakthrough is going to look like and how you can be a part of it. So here we go, Tony Calabrese. The title of my message is The Power of the Other. And it's actually, I got them borrowing that title from a book I read this past spring on leadership. I'll tell you more about it. Uh, but this whole idea of community and being connected to, me, to people, I was reminded uh, when the iPhone 6 came out, I have iPhone 6 Plus. Well, how many know that every time a new iPhone comes out, just give it a couple weeks before they figure out like what's not working with that phone or with that device? And I remember with the iPhone 6, one of the, the problems that they had to troubleshoot early on uh, maybe some of you experienced this, but 
uh, the phone would get stuck in search mode for a network. At the top left-hand corner, it would say searching dot, 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 and it would actually ultimately never connect to a network. And so if you have a smartphone, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you have a dumb phone, it's a flip phone, you're probably just sending phone calls and shooting text messages out, which is great. But what makes the iPhone amazing is that you can do so many other things outside of making a phone call and, giving, and shooting out some text messages to people. You can check your email. You can download apps. There's so much that you can do. And when the iPhone 6 came out, they actually had an issue with a lot of people's phones being stuck in the search mode for connection. Now, we live in the 21st century. Can you imagine the travesty and the, dev the, the devastation and the disaster of not connecting to a network and going longer than two minutes? Right? And so it would be stuck in this connecting mode, ultimately never connecting to LTE or connecting to a wireless network. It was stuck. There was something internally wrong with that phone, but it wasn't how it was designed. That's not a, the, the originator's intent, the creator's intent for it to be stuck in this searching for a connection mode. And without a connection to the, to the network, this little device, this iPhone, wouldn't be able to do everything it was designed to do. Without a strong and a steady connection, nothing new or better could occur. And I was thinking about that and how you and I are the same way. You and I are created for connection. You and I are created for relational connectedness. From the moment that you and I were born, there's a chip that's implanted inside of us and we come into this world that we're created for connection. We're created for other people. And as long as you're alive, your heart and your mind and your soul is going to be searching for connection and other. And I wonder for some of us this weekend, if you're watching online or here at Richland, here in Portage, if you're stuck in searching for a connection. I wonder if that might be some of us here this weekend. And when it comes to searching for connection, when we get stuck, oftentimes, and we might not use this word, but I'm going to use this word for us this weekend, is that we come to a place of being discouraged. We come to a place of being discouraged, and we kind of live under this disappointment. And maybe for you, maybe you've experienced this discouragement, and it comes in a number of different ways. Maybe your marriage is, is on the rocks and discouragement has come and you're stuck. Uh, maybe for you, you have a son or a daughter, a prodigal who's, who's run away from the Lord and you're not sure what to do, but you're stuck and you're discouraged. Maybe there's a relationship that's kind of gone sour. Whether it's depression or discouragement, we can go on and on, but it kind of becomes the survival of the soul. Living under a cloud and a fog of discouragement. But the truth is that for all of us, for all of us this weekend, to live life is to face the reality of discouragement. And, and you might be sitting just like, man, I'm, I'm encouraged right now. I'm encouraged in this season of life. And I'll just tell you this, that if you're not in the middle of, of a storm that's bringing discouragement, you're probably coming out of one or you're about to go in one. And so let me just kind of level the playing field this weekend when it comes to discouragement. We'll all have to face the reality of it. But the question is, what do we do in the midst of that? What do we do in the midst of being stuck? How do we deal with discouragement? And in the book of Hebrews, the unnamed writer is writing to a group of Christians, believers, who are kind of throwing in the towel. They, they can't take it anymore. They're, they're following Jesus is too hard for them. Some of them are losing friends. Some of their friends are being put into prison. They were losing property and possessions. Their world was shattering. And so the writer of Hebrews writes and says, keep going. Don't quit. Don't stop. Hebrews was written for tired and weary and struggling, discouraged believers. We can find encouragement in the midst of this. They don't want to go forward in their faith and there's something that is going on in this context that the writer of Hebrews wants to instill something in them. And it's interesting what he kind of unravels in the midst of being discouraged, in the midst of wanting to throw in the towel for whatever it is you're facing. There's some things tonight that I believe that we can be encouraged with. Because I think some of us this weekend need a faith lift. 
not a facelift. It's not Mike Tyson, okay? It's ludicrous. But you need a faith lift. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, I want to read to us a few verses in the encouragement amidst the discouragement that we can draw from God's word, but also the instruction from this writer in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. It says this, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the day more as you see the day drawing near. Skip to verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Amen. That's the word of the Lord this weekend. And the author of Hebrews is, is writing and telling them multiple times that Jesus is better. Jesus is supreme. He's better than anything that we can put our hands to. Anything that we can think of, Jesus is better. So he starts with Christ amidst your crisis. Christ amidst your crisis. And I want to pose the question because, again, the question here is their confidence is being shaken. How is your confidence today? And where does Christian confidence come from? But where do we, where do we find it? Where do we draw courage? How do you access it? And the heartbeat of the message this weekend, faith forward, is this. Our confidence is found in Christ in community. Our confidence is found in Christ in the context of community. Hebrews 10, 23, he says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. And I love this, for he who has promised is faithful. He who has promised is faithful. Say, he is faithful. He is faithful. And we can put our confidence in the midst of that. And it's interesting that when it comes to God's word and God's promises, can I just declare over us today that God's word is good even when it doesn't feel like it? That God's word is good and his promises are good even when it doesn't look like it? That when God, maybe to you it might seem like God has disappointed you, his word is still good? That when it seems like God has let you down, his word is good? When it seems like God has betrayed you, God's word is good? When it looks like he has backtracked, God's word is good? When it looks like he's forgotten your name, God's word is good. Because he who has promised is faithful. And the problem is, is this, and, and I think this is maybe where the tension lies. But when it comes to, if I could draw this and illustrate for, for us this weekend, we have God's promises. We have confidence that all of God's promises over our lives are yes and amen. But, everyone say but, there's a gap between God's promises and God's fulfillment. God's promises and God's fulfillment. But we know that they're going to come to pass. The only thing is that we don't know how long that gap is. 
And so what happens is, is that we draw discouragement amidst the waiting. When God promises something based on his word, he's good for it, but he doesn't tell us when we're going to receive it, when our hands are going to be able to ultimately touch that. And so what happens with you and I is that, and the people in Hebrew struggle with this, is that they would retract back. It, it wasn't faith forward for them. It was faith backwards. And they didn't get stuck moving forward. They got stuck moving backwards. Because of everything that was going on in that context with those people, they knew God's word. They knew his promises. But they weren't experiencing fulfillment. And so there was this long gap between those two things. And so what happens when we draw back, because the truth is that when it comes to God's promises, that gap could be like this. Could be like that. Could be a short gap. But what happens is that when discouragement comes, that's not... That's not a small gap. It's a long gap. It's like, man, God's promises are so massive, but yet very little fulfillment. And so what do we do in this gap of frustration? Because what happens is the cloud that comes over those Things that God promises and ultimately God fulfills is discouragement. We shrink back rather than move forward. And the temptation that's being countered in this Hebrews text by the authors of Hebrews is that the temptation is to turn back. And so here's what he said. Maybe you, maybe you caught this in verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Here it is. As is the habit of some but encouraging one another all the day more. So I'm going to look at this idea of community and what the power of other people, that power, that entity, being connected to one another, what that does for our faith and how that moves our faith forward. Power, the power of community here it is, brings encouragement. We just read it. We need people who will stand in that gap with us. From God's promises to God's fulfillment, we need the encouragement of people to fill that gap with us and for us. When we draw near to one another, we're experiencing him. And when we experience him, we draw near to that promise. I don't know if you ever thought about encouragement or when you received encouragement from somebody when you needed it the most. But if you kind of break down that word encouragement, the prefix N, E-N, means to put in or into, and the word courage means confident or brave. So to encourage someone literally means to put courage in them. The word in the Greek there, encouragement, is actually the word parakaleo which is the same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit. That word is used for us, people, human beings, to encourage one another, to come alongside one another, to strengthen or, to, or support, to instruct. Some of your versions might say in, uh, exhort. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another or build one another up. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6, Paul says this, But God who encourages those who are discouraged, were encouraged us, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. Titus was an encourager. See, the greatest cheerleader in the world should be found in the church. You ever go to a, a, an event, a sporting event, or, or a basketball game, and they have these cheerleaders have these things in their hands, and it makes all kind of wavy noise. It's it's a pom pom, right? And it's funny that, and I'll admit this, I am um, a Bulls fan right now. So like 10 or 15 years ago, it was great to be a Bulls fan. 
But to be a Bulls fan now is completely shameful. So I'm, I'm admitting that. I'm admitting that, okay? I'm also a Bears fan as well. That's fine. I received that slander. But it's interesting that when you go to those games, no matter what the score is, a complete blowout, those cheerleaders keep cheering on the team. And I'm just like, dude, stop cheering. Just go home. They don't have a prayer. They don't have a hope. But yet, what are they doing? They're screaming and yelling just as hard and as consistent as they were from when the game began. And when it looks like the game is over for us, the writers of Hebrews tells us that we need a cheerleader to come alongside us and to cheer us on. You know, in the world, we want to ascend to the highest place, maybe in our work environment. And if you're in some kind of corporate environment, well, you, maybe you might not use this title if you are part of a different career, but there's a CEO, a person that's kind of at the top. And I just want to tell you in the kingdom of God that you should strive to be a CEO in the church, a chief encouraging officer. Th that's really what the writer of, of Hebrews is doing, is that you, all of us need to be CEOs for one another in the gap from God's promise to God's fulfillment, to be the chief encouraging officer. It, it's, it's like when the little baby starts to get to that place where they're starting to crawl, they do the army crawl, then they're on all fours, and then they start to stand up. And then all of a sudden, the mom and, and the dad will come along with a really low, kind of high-pitched voice, excuse me, and we'll get down low and say, come on, come on. And we'll start like screaming and yelling and, and it's like just one step, right? Take that one step, you can do it. And it's the cutest thing. And it's incredible to watch that. I, I think what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get is, is that we need to be that cheerleader and we need to be like that mom and that dad that says, come on, you can make it. I know that that screen is tripping you up, but you can do it. I know that that device, you can do it. That struggle at work, come on, you can do it. You can do it. That depression that you're struggling with, come on. You can make it. I know you're struggling with those thoughts. You can make it. I know you were down last week. Come on. You can make it. No one is beyond encouragement. All of us need it. Because life has a way of showing up and showing off. And God wants to use others to strengthen those who are around us. God wants to use community. He wants others to surround the very thing that's surrounding us. And so God has given us the power of community for encouragement. Here's the second one. The power of community fulfills our need for connection. And at the very beginning... At the book of beginning in Genesis, at the outset of creation, there's something unique and interesting that happens. Everything that God spoke into the universe, he said, let there be light. Let there be water. Everything God spoke, he spoke it into existence and he says, it is good. But something interesting happens in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It's almost like instead of him speaking it, into existence, there's like this cosmic conference call. It says this, then God said, let us make man in our image. Did you see those two words there, the two-letter word in verse 26? Let us. I don't know about you, but that seems a little odd to me. Let us make man in our image. How many of you guys love people who speak in third person? 
right? So Tony went to the store the other day. Tony made a phone call the other day. Those people drive me nuts, by the way, who speak in third person. But when you're God, you can talk to yourself. And what God is speaking is something incredibly significant for you and I. Because you and I are created for connection. This usness, this our language, speaks of the Trinity God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The three in one. I know it's incredibly hard to wrap your mind around that. Because you're just like, well, Tony, I thought there was one God. There is one God. We serve one God, yet three persons. God is a God who is singular in character, but plural in person. And the best way that I can describe it to you in Genesis chapter 1, 26, is that we were created by community. Because God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dwelt together from eternity past. And we see that Jesus was present at the very beginning in John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And so we were created by community for community. Our roots and the very essence and the being of who we are happens best in the context of community. The very essence of who we are is community. Our greatness is unleashed in the context of community. And I I came across this brilliant lady in 2010. I went to a conference and she spoke. Her name's Brene Brown. She's wicked smart. She has, she has more degrees than Fahrenheit. She's got three PhDs in social science. And she has one of the most popular TED Talks on TED, one of the top five viewed. But she did a six-year study looking at the core need of every human being, regardless of their gender, ethnic background, socioeconomic status, and And she asked this question in her study, six years. What is the core human need that humanity shares in in common? And after six years, she found that we are neurally, biologically wired for connection. She found that the core root of every human being is the desire to feel connected. And by the way, Brene Brown wasn't a Christian before the study. After the, Christ, after the study, she became a Christian. You're created for connection. Robin Williams made this incredible quote. The actor who passed a few years ago, he says that, I used to think the worst thing in life is to end up alone. It's not. The worst thing in life is to end up with people who make you feel alone. It's a powerful statement coming from someone who took their life, probably speaking from his own experience. But if you're under the sound of my voice, you are inherently wired for community, for connection, for other people, even if you're an introvert. One of the most famous research projects that have done, that's been done in the social science world was the Almeda County study, a fascinating study. Took place over nine years, Almeda County in California, and uh, this social scientist tracked the lives of 7,000 people over the course of nine years, and again, fascinating findings. He found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than the most relationally connected people. What they discovered is that people who had bad health habits, smoking, bad eating, poor eating habits, obesity, alcohol use, people who had bad health habits but strong relational connected connections actually lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were also isolated. So in, in, in other words, what, what that study is showing is that it's better to eat ding-dongs and ho-hos together than it is to eat cucumbers alone. Okay. Scientifically proven. My wife and I recently had our fourth. His name's Tribe, Tribe Cannon Lee. And something happened when Tribe was born that previously happened with our three children. 
is that when the baby was born, the doctors were, were very keen on making sure that the baby came out and that the cord was cut. And the first thing that they did wasn't to feed the baby, but it was to make sure that the baby had skin-to-skin contact with the mother. Just came into the womb. Just cut off the supply of physical nourishment that it needed. But the skin-to-skin was important. Even if you feed babies and you deprive them of meaningful relational connections, an attachment or a bond, they will not grow as they should. All because they missed a relational connection. Those babies and children that are born into the world that lack a relational connection with another human being will actually have lower body weight, experience more illness, and extreme situations can develop a syndrome called failure to thrive. And it means exactly that. They're hitting a false limit. They're not thriving to their full physical potential. And, and this damage actually goes a lot further. On brain scans, and researchers have done this, you'll see literal black holes in spaces where the neurons did not form. The physical hard wiring of the brain was incomplete. Children who experienced those deprivations had smaller brains and would ultimately struggle later in life. Failure to thrive. And I wonder if in the kingdom of God, for you, if you are struggling and you have failure to thrive because you're isolated, you're disconnected, and you're independent. What these studies are doing, what I'm trying to share with us is that what these studies are doing at a biological or a scientific level is simply confirming what the scriptures speak of at a spiritual level. Are you with me? And the tension for a lot of us is the culture that we live, on, live in rubs up against this idea for community and this idea for one another. One of the biggest battles that we fight is to be isolated. It wants to creep in on us. And we live in a culture where we want to be able to do everything by ourselves. And we don't need anybody else. As a matter of fact, the world will applaud you for accomplishing something great by yourself. Man, you were so strong getting through that struggle or that trial. Man, you did it. And in the kingdom of God, that's actually dangerous. The search for community is our culture's deepest longing. And the Christian faith's greatest promise. And when it comes to faith forward, you can follow and you should follow Jesus by yourself. And for, your, for yourself, excuse me. There should be ownership of your faith that you take, that you worship Jesus, that you serve others. You can and should follow Jesus for yourself, but you can't follow Jesus by yourself. And that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to get at. The power of community brings encouragement. It connects us with the way that we are created and it also brings clarity to our calling. The power of community brings clarity to our calling. Proverbs 15.22 says that without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Any decision that I have made, magnificent decisions, big decisions I've made in my life, according to the things that I feel God has called me to do, I've never made them alone. I'm too scared to. Because there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Multitude, meaning more than one. There's safety in community because of the counsel that comes in community. Any decision that we make outside of community can be an unsafe one. Everyone's asking, what on earth am I here for? You can't find your destiny without finding your people, your tribe, your connection, your community. Proverbs 24, 6 says, for by wise guidance you can wage your war, your war. And in abundance of counselors there is victory. One of my favorite verses, Proverbs 13, 20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. 
Strength comes through community. Note it didn't say he who walks with God. It says he who walks with the wise. We gain strength and wisdom from other people. We gain access to strength in community. Proverbs 13, 20 tells us when a person goes on to live in relationship with wise people, they grow in wisdom. And if that's true, the flip side is also true as well. The people that you hang with, the people that you do life with, shape and influence ultimately who you become. Community is the declaration of interdependence. That's what community is all about. When we do life with people who are moving in the same direction that we want to move in, we move better, further, farther, and faster because of it. And if you're surrounded with the right people, you won't surrender to the wrong thing. You'll know exactly where you're going. You'll know exactly what to do. The people in your life are either going to be your armor bearers that lead you to your destiny, or they're going to be your pallbearer that leads you to destruction. And you and I get to choose who those people are. He who walks with the wise grows wise. And lastly, the power of community. I think this is the most important one. The power of community allows you to be you. Romans 12, 15 says this. says that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. You can weep, it's okay, but don't do it alone. It's okay to be weird, don't be a weirdo alone. You can struggle, don't struggle alone. And when you're celebrating victories in your life, don't celebrate alone. Do you ever just have like a party in your room by yourself? That's weird. <laughs> Invite others in to what you're celebrating. The Bible allows you to do that. It gives you permission to do that. See, community is the place where we know others, but it's also the place where we are known. Community is the place where vulnerability and transparency and authenticity win. And we live in a culture that fake it till you make it. We put up a facade, a filtered and photoshopped generation. When I, when I first moved, I don't have Instagram, but when I first moved to Michigan, everyone would post like these incredible like landscape pictures of like Lake Michigan or Sleeping Bear Dunes. And then they would put on there, and my wife would show me, they would put on hashtag no filter. I was like, what, what, what's, the no, what's the no filter? Everyone's like, no filter, Michigan, pure Michigan, no, no filter. Like, what, what is that? And so she had to tell me that there's these different apps and settings where you can, like, photo, mini, kind of do a mini Photoshop session of your pictures. And so apparently all the Michiganders were, like, faking it and just putting all these filters on this beautiful pictures. And so you have to remind people that, hey, this is a legit picture, hashtag no filter. Like you have to tell people that you're not enhancing an image or an experience. You know, nobody puts on Instagram that, hey, I had a great day today, I beat my kids. And a picture. Nobody does that. The Facebook way of living. Family goes to the state park. It's a day of picnic bliss. But the mistake is that they drug a family of sinners with them to that experience. And it was a horrible day. Kids are fighting, mom's in tears, nothing's enjoyable. Dad burned the hot dogs. And in a graciously father, fatherly Tony told him to shut up and just eat the hot dogs. But before you leave the park, you have to get the family selfie. And then you post it on Facebook or Instagram. Great day at Sleeping Bear Dunes, wherever it might be. And then someone replies, just like, oh man, I wish I had that kind of joy in my family. 
It's not real. Here's the thing. The facade and the filter that some of us put up enslaves us. And we're, what we're doing is that we're covering up the reality of really who we are, which means that we're afraid to show people the true you. Because here's the deal. Everyone's normal until you get to know them. And so when you come to community, you will find out that everyone else is messed up. Everyone else has a problem. Because when we come together on the weekends, it's just like, yeah, man, praise the Lord, brother. But you're struggling with despair and discouragement every day, Monday through Friday. And you have to think about and journal about on Saturday, everything that happened on Monday through Friday. Here's the deal, we get to struggle together. The opposite of belonging is fitting in and fitting in is the greatest barrier to community. You don't just get to fit in, you get to be who you are and experience true, authentic community. Being 98% known is being unknown. You can be fully known for who you are. Struggles, badges, wounds and all. God's called us into that community. As we conclude, I wanna read one story and I'm gonna close in prayer. And the best way that we know how to express this kind of community as, at our church is in what we call a community group. Small gatherings of people that come together to encourage one another, to get clarity for calling, to pray for one another, to confess to one another, to be real with one another. And, and there's a couple, John and Minnie in our church, that said joining a group was easily the best decision we've made since we got married because we almost didn't make it. In seven years of marriage, we had lived in four states, four houses, one hotel, four different jobs apiece, attended three churches, and been anywhere from three to 12 hours away from our families. And we'd seen 52 months of heartbreaking pregnancy tests with only one pink line. When we started coming to Radiant, right away I could feel God whispering and nudging us to join a group and to get in a community. But for a year we found every reason in the book not to. One morning when John and I were, uh, John wasn't with me at church, I filled out the card to join a group and turn it in hoping that it would force us to commit. We were coming to the end of our rope in a four-year struggle with infertility, and then John lost his job unexpectedly the day before our group, first group meeting. So no point in trying to get connected in the church. We were at an all-time low. We were discouraged. Everything seemed hopeless, and how could we even think about joining a group called Fearless when we thought about crawling into a hole? So we had plenty of reasons not to go that first night. We almost bailed, actually. But man, we're glad that we went because our community group saved us. We could have chosen to go down an angry, bitter path for multiple reasons, but God had big plans for us and he could, and he put us in a group that often feels like he drafted just for us. Our group was full of couples who had children and lots of them. That first night we were the only couple with no little ones to introduce to the group, no little ones to pack in the car. As we walked out at the end of the evening, I wondered why God would put us in a group with so many beautiful little kids and we couldn't have one. We wondered out loud if I had accidentally checked the box for children on the card. But quickly we realized he placed us exactly where we needed to be. Our group was filled with others who had also struggled with infertility, who had recently lost jobs, experienced distance from family, and who happened to be some of the most amazing, real, God-loving parents we could be blessed to know. Each week we got to watch moms and dads, husbands and wives do life on a Tuesday night. We didn't know it at first, but God was teaching us about the kind of parents and spouses he would want us to be. He prepared the way. It was in our community group where the Lord led us to turn it all over to God and to come to a place of surrender. The jobs, the circumstances, the worries, the pain, the anger, the infertility, the discouragement, all of it. Community groups showed us weekly that we weren't alone and that he wanted us to follow him together. Our faith grew, our marriage was awesome, 
our prayer game was strong and we had friends that felt like family. Months later, after opening up to the group and being covered in so much prayer, John got a great job that didn't require us to move and we learned we were having a little girl. We always say that she is the most precious gift ever, but that even before we had her, we were given the gift of, here's our word, community. And without our group, we may not be where we are today. We truly have experienced the reality of why God wants us to be in community. Yeah, that's a good message. Yeah. So I didn't try to rehash it. And part of it too is, uh, this is the fourth time I've heard it. I watched it twice at home before we showed it here. And then first service this morning and now again. And uh, there's a lot of things that we've done really well as, as Radiant Church. And there's some things that we haven't done really well as and we're still learning and growing in. And one of those is that community aspect of things. Is that I haven't led well enough in the area of community and the importance of groups and of us uh, creating the opportunity for us to be able to have that. Because the, the beautiful picture that was painted there of, of people able to come alongside each other and encourage each other, be weirdos with each other. Uh, like, it's so important to our faith. When we read in Acts chapter 2, it shows that the first thing that happens is all these people get miraculously saved and make a decision to follow Jesus. And then immediately it says they start gathering together in each other's homes. And they're praying together and they're studying scripture together. They're worshiping together. They're meeting each other's needs. They're encouraging each other. And that's the, the vision that, that God has for the church. It's the way that it's supposed to look when it's best, but it's completely countercultural, and it's hard to be able to exist in that kind of a community because it means that you're gonna have to have grace and mercy and understanding for each other, and you're gonna have to extend that yourself to other people. But it's worth fighting for, and it's worth contending for. And right now, I'll just, I'll publicly repent of the fact that I haven't created that and pushed that hard enough in Radiant Church. But we're gonna go after that and we're gonna do everything that we can to create that and we're gonna make mistakes and we're gonna keep going after it and keep pursuing it until we make it so that's the norm, not the exception for us. And I need you all to help me in that. And that's why we're doing Breakthrough. There's two reasons why we're starting Breakthrough next week. Number one, because we all have areas in our life where we need Breakthrough, we need God to break in, we need God to do something miraculous. And so we're gonna spend six weeks studying that and learning how we can see that in our own lives. But honestly, more importantly, is we just need to create more community. We need to create more opportunities and more places for us to have people that know us, where it's not just a gathering on Sunday morning, but we get together here to be encouraged, we get together here to learn how Jesus wants us to live our lives and to pray and to worship corporately, but we go into our small groups because that's the place where we're gonna be known. That's the place where people are gonna shepherd our hearts and help us along. That's the place where we're gonna use the gifts that God's put inside of us to minister to other people that are around us. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to get signed up for a group. We've had some people that have decided they're gonna open up their homes for six weeks and uh, they're gonna make it so you can come in. It's an hour and a half we're gonna be going through. There's a video teaching. There's like an incredible, beautiful book that goes along with it that has daily devotionals for you as long as group questions you'll be doing. Uh, for six weeks, commit to finding a group that you can be a part of. Uh, do whatever it takes for six weeks because it's gonna be so worth it because you're gonna see breakthrough in your life but you're also going to develop the relationships that you need with other people so that you can be spiritually healthy, so that you can grow and become a mature saint, is what the Bible says. We're going to grow in our faith. We're going to mature in our faith. And we need other people in our lives to be able to do that. So you can do that, radiantA2.com. You can hop on your phone right now, and you can go to our website. You can see the different groups that are going on. Some of them are full and closed down, but there's still, I think, like 11 or 12 groups that have room. And if we need to make more groups, then we will absolutely make more groups so everybody can be a part of it. Uh, and then the second thing is just commit to being part of it. For those six weeks, make sure you're here on Sunday mornings as we go through Breakthrough. For those six weeks, make sure that you're going to your group and that you're giving to other people and that you're receiving from other people so we can be the church that Jesus has called us to be. 2018, we're going after prayer, we're going after worship, and we're going after community. We're going to make this church a family where people come in and they know that they belong and that they have a family that they can belong to and that they're needed in 
in a place where they can come and experience everything that God's made available for us in this life. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you've made a family for yourself. It was your plan in Adam and Eve. It's what we destroyed with our own sin, but it's what you were committed and faithful to restore, was that you made us sons and daughters, that God, you became our father. And you didn't just become our father, but you adopted us into a family where we have brothers and sisters who will love us, who will encourage us, who will strengthen us, who will convict us. And so, Jesus, we pray for that over Radiant Church, that this would be a family of brothers and sisters. God, that you would work conviction in our heart to be that to each other. Jesus, to, to be committed to that through the rough seasons that come along with it, Jesus. Would you give us the ability to have supernatural grace and mercy and understanding for each other? Jesus, we pray that we would be people who don't put our own needs first, but we put the needs of other people first. Jesus, we wouldn't be those who, because of offense or because of weirdness, we isolate ourselves and we draw back, but we'd be those who dive into the mess that comes along with community because we believe in the blessing and the reward that comes from it. Jesus, make us into the family that you died on a cross so that we could be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm having my prayer partners come forward. They're going to be in the front here. If there's anything we can pray with you about, come forward. Let us pray for you. We see God move miraculously all the time in response to the prayers of his people. Remember Thursday night, 8 o'clock, we have prayer here. Next Sunday night, we have a night of worship at 630. Lots of stuff going on. Get signed up for a group, and we'll see you next week for Breakthrough. God bless.